1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. But what you have here is an example of confirmation bias. People looking for the exception to justify what they want. And I get it, it's hard. It's hard because when you haven't been taught thoroughly sometimes, you can lapse into practices because maybe you don't understand the Word of God as fully as you should. And that's why it's it's often what's not taught that harms the church or its people. I can
0: see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall the mountains from move every chain of the past. You've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh,
2: Well, hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast. With Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so grateful that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the program. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's edition of Grace to Live, we are continuing with Pastor Keith's series entitled Church Matters. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: What is the flow of thought in that passage? What is the Apostle Paul, who wrote that, talking about? Well, that's the key here because people can pull passages out of context all day long and make them appear to say almost what they want them to say or what they wish they said. And I'm not trying to be harsh or hard, I know this is hard for some of you to hear. You've heard me say this before. It's not what a church is taught that often hurts it. It's what people forget to teach or neglect to teach. And when you look at Galatians chapter 3, you see that it has nothing to do with the roles of men and women in the church. Galatians is about somebody teaching a different gospel to the churches in Galatia. And Galatians 3 makes that very clear. And it, it informs, it clarifies the context of Galatians 3.28. Galatians let me show you what I mean here. Let's start at the top. Galatians 3.1. Let's watch the flow of the discourse and the context of Galatians 3.28. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was, before your, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing by faith? Are you so foolish? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that those of faith are sons of Abraham. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then... The law was our guardian, some translations say schoolmaster, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified, saved by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male, there is no female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So Galatians 3.28 does nothing to eliminate gender distinctions. It just basically says that we're all saved the same way by faith. We are all children of Abraham by the same means, by putting our faith in Christ. Just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, when we trust in Christ, when we embrace Christ, we become heirs according to the promise, whether we're a Jew or a non-Jew, whether we're free or slave, whether we are male or female. Regardless, we are all saved the same way and grafted into the family of God by the same means. This is all about salvation. This is all about us needing to be saved in the same way. All needed salvation, none deserved it. We're saved by faith through grace because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are saved by faith. And so you can't make that case from Galatians 3.28. I understand we'd like to or you'd like to, but it can't be done. Now some look at Galatians 3.28 and say that the the gender distinctions that were created at the fall have been redeemed and nullified by Galatians 3.28 but that's a tall that's a long leap why because adam was created first then eve right that's first timothy two twelve, and and G- genesis 2 is before the fall and so there's nothing about redeeming anything from the fall the primacy of the firstborn existed from the very beginning when god saw all that he made and behold it was very good you see, nothing in Romans 12 touches 1 Timothy 2, 12, 13, and 14. And nothing in Galatians 3:28 diminishes or cancels out what's in 1 Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, Titus 2. Or it's just not there. You're having to read into the text wishful thinking. You're having to bend the text and pull it out of its context to make it say what you wish. Often, good people, good people, Good godly people are falling prey to something called confirmation bias, to looking for anything to justify your preference and just jumping on it uncritically. That happens. Let's talk about objection number three. Objection number three is this. What about all the women of the Bible like Miriam and Deborah and Nodia and, and Priscilla who, who led, who taught? What about them? What about all these exceptions? If 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13 and 14 still applies, what about all these exceptions in the Old and the New Testament? Well, what about them? Some would say the exceptions prove the rule. You know, Jesus appointed no female apostles. Paul taught what he taught in 1 Timothy 2, 12, 13 and 14. But let's talk about Miriam for a moment. What about Miriam? In Exodus 15, 20 and 21, we read this. Then Miriam the prophetess, there it is, the sister of Aaron, he's the high priest, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, sang to all the women, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. Who did Miriam lead there in worship? Is there a prescription or a principle that we can derive there? Yeah, she led the women. She led them in dance. She led them in song. She led them in celebration. And we forget, sometimes conveniently, that when Miriam co-conspired with her brother Aaron to overthrow Moses, that she was stricken with leprosy and put outside the camp because she challenged his authority. Aaron apparently got off easier because he was the high priest. But you you can't use Miriam as an example. Okay, what about Deborah? Deborah? What about Deborah? It says she was a prophetess. She was. She was a judge. She was. But when and why? You see, you have to think of the context. You have to think of what the book that you're reading in the Bible is about. And in Judges 17:6 is the mantra that you find throughout the book of Judges. In those days there was no king in Israel, there was no leadership. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Some translations say did what was right in his own sight. Sounds like today, doesn't it? But here's here's the point. Deborah challenged Barak to execute his responsibilities and defend the people of God. And Barak was afraid. Barak failed to lead. We do well not to build a theological construct a theological structure from narrative passages there's no prescription here for women to teach or exercise authority over a man and the era in which it took place was not the era from which the church wants to derive its best practices In that era there was no leadership in israel Israel was apostate and that's why God kept sending people to plague it and then raising up judges to liberate it. And everyone did characteristically what was right in their own sight. This is not the era from which we want to draw leadership principles. And most of you, I mentioned Nodia a moment ago. Who's she? Well, I use her specifically because I found a document here that was written back in 1997 that cited Nodia as one reason that women should teach men who was Nodea do you know this goes to show you when you get caught up and you're in a haste to make your case you you do things you wouldn't normally do as you carry out your confirmation bias who was Nodea you find Nodea in Nehemiah 6.14 the prophetess here in Nehemiah writes this listen to this remember Tobiah and Sanballat oh my God these were guys opposing the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple the walls Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to the things that they did. And also the, prophet of Nod- the prophetess Nodea and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. She was a false prophet. Why would you use her as an example? Again, citing her as a reason or citing Balaam as a reason or maybe the prophets of Baal as a reason. You don't want to draw your best practices from false prophets and false prophetesses. And sometimes in our haste, we make a hasty decision and we get sloppy with our exegesis, sloppy with our interpretation of Scripture, and we try to take narrative passages which are descriptive and make them prescriptive because we want to be nice. We don't want to discourage people, but remember the nice guy, Adam, when his wife was told, has God really said, go ahead and take this fruit? Because God knows when you do, you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And Adam stood there like a nice guy and was complicit. And as it says in Romans 5, 12, sin and death entered the world. What about Pris- Priscilla and Achilla? There's another one, the New Testament, right? What about Priscilla and Achilla? Well, look with me at Acts eighteen twenty six, Talking about the great preacher Apollos, he was an Alexandrian Jew, a lawyer, who showed up, and it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So people say, Well, see, see, there's a woman teaching a man. Is there? Is there? He didn't understand the way of God. He understood that Jesus was the Messiah, but there was a lot about Jesus he didn't understand. And some scholars say that Apollos may have been an unbeliever, not fully understanding the deity of Christ, who he was, why he came, and what he accomplished. And so they would say that this couple evangelized him as a team, Priscilla and Achilla, not her by herself. They counseled him. They took him aside. They didn't take over the worship service. She didn't take over the teaching. In fact, he continued to teach after his correction or after his conversion. But what you have here is an example of confirmation bias. People looking for the exception to justify what they want. And I get it, it's hard. It's hard because when you haven't been taught thoroughly sometimes, you can lapse into practices because maybe you don't understand the word of God as fully as you should. And that's why it's, no, it's often what's not taught that harms the church or its people. Okay, exception number four. What about the less clear texts? Now this is an interesting one. What less clear text? I mean, they point to Romans twelve three through eight. They point to Galatians three twenty eight. They point to some of these narrative passages. They point to Nodia. What's not clear about that? What's not clear about 1 Timothy two twelve through fourteen? I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires the office of overseer, elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must not be above reproach, the husband of, the must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Elders, the primary teachers and leaders of the church are men. What's not clear about that? Titus 1.6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, he must hold firm the trust to the trustworthy word is taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. Or verse 13 in first Timothy 2, for Adam was formed first, then Eve or 1 Corinthians 11 or Titus 1 or Titus 2 what are the unclear texts it's pretty in the pastoral epistles it's pretty clear that God has established interdependent roles and goals for men and women and those roles and goals aren't exactly the same and that there are restrictions just like there was in the Garden of Eden and we do well not to ignore God's prescriptions not to uh, break and go outside of his parameters and so You need to understand that the scriptures are clear. It's not rocket science. The text says what it says, and you and I can't make it say anything differently. We can't. So what's the big deal here? What is the big deal? And I said this last week, it's not about women. It's not about men. It's not about elevating one over the other or anything like that. It's about the inspiration of scripture, It's about, has God really said that women cannot teach or exercise authority over a man? Has God really said this is a forbidden fruit you should not touch? Now, it's obviously not as serious as an offense as what took place in the Garden of Eden, but God has said this. The scriptures have spoken plainly. That's a doctrine of perspicuity which is a hard word to say three times, perpiscuity, perpiscuity, perpiscuity. That's the clarity of Scripture. It says what it means, it means what it says, and it's understandable. What's the big deal? It's about the authority and sufficiency of Scripture in every aspect of our lives. The Word of God has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the existence of our being, including church matters. And Church matters matter to God, and they've got to matter to us. This is about worship, about an inward commitment to God, a consecrated heart that bears witness to the goodness of God and the roles that he has established and ordained for men and women whose cup runneth over. So what do you do with this? What do you do with this? Let me give you some suggestions for application. And you see the word finite there because I cannot give you a list of 767.251 things that you can and cannot do. Application is the work of the student of God's word. And I can't cover every circumstance and situation, but I can tell you this, there are gray areas. People often ask, well, just how far can I go? How far can I go? How, how close to the edge can I get? Wrong question. You know, in, in premarital counseling, if a couple asked me, well, how far can we go without forfeiting our purity? I would say wrong question. The question isn't how well, how much can you get away with. The question is what does God want? How can I bring pleasure to God? How can I bring glory to God and good to others and grow in the process myself? How can I do what I do for the common good that I may encourage other believers? But that said, there's, there are gray areas. Let's talk about couples. Couples can serve together like Aquila and Priscilla or Priscilla and Aquila. This could be a, a, a small group. They could facilitate a a marriage class together. But you just want to be careful, right? You don't want to violate God's word. God is good, and he's offered us his best. Let us not demean the good gifts that he's given us. Conferences. What about conferences? Well, a conference isn't a church service. A woman may be a panelist at a national, regional, or international uh, conference. She may take part in a panel discussion. This is particularly true of you know whether it's technical expertise or, but it's not a regular gathering of the assembled church. I attended a conference uh, a few years ago. Uh, it was and, and there was a, a, an ethicist speaking on abortion. The woman had a PhD in ethics, and she had a juris doctor. She was a lawyer but it wasn't a church service and she wasn't telling me how to live my life before God and she wasn't exercising an ongoing basis spiritual authority over me. Then there's baptisms. We often have people give testimony when they are baptized, men and women. We'll have a mother and a father come out and pray and say a few words. Nothing wrong with that. Somebody may talk about how their faith enabled them to survive cancer or overcome hardship or may share experiences from Christian service, this is bearing testimony, but it is not teaching and exercising authority over the congregation. You know, you have to ask yourself, am I in authority over the people that I'm speaking to? Are they the gathered church under the authority of the teacher or the preacher? Is this an ongoing teaching engagement or a series of engagements? Are the listeners gathered together in obedience to God's word in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25? Or what is this? You know, so that's the gray areas. Be careful. Beware of the half-empty glass. Beware of the nice guy. He says, go do what you want to do. Says, you just want to be careful. I remember years ago, I was, we were baptizing somebody at my church, and the lady got up there to give her testimony and talked for 35 minutes. She had her unsaved family, a handful of them in the back, and she ended up preaching a message. And I remember people going, whoa, what's going on here? And I said, look, guys, she got carried away. I'm not going to lay awake at night worrying about what if. Stuff happens. But the, but, the, but when it comes to these gray areas, be careful. Second thing I want to talk to you about are books and commentaries. I had somebody say to me, would you, would you use a commentary by a female? I have. Is she teaching me or exercising authority over me? No. Is she in the room with me talking to me saying, thus sayeth the Lord? No. A commentary or a book is really... A matter of witness somebody is telling you about a passage they wrestle with or a situation they encountered and they're really bearing witness and you know and so you know sometimes we watch videos sometimes we watch movies sometimes we read books sometimes we read commentaries it's not the same well I feel like they're my teacher well you feel wrong because that's not what the Bible is talking about it's not the context Now, if that person was there and present, then you might be moving into a gray gray area. And I would say be careful, be very careful. And the third application I'd give you is this. When in doubt, be careful. Be careful. Err to the conservative. Why would you want to see how close to the line you can get without crossing it? It's not that complicated. We are here to celebrate God's goodness, to celebrate God's will, that he has raised us up for such a time as this and gifted us with certain gifts and pointed us at certain ministries and laid out certain opportunities for us and established certain protections and parameters for us. I remember hearing a a lady speak at a conference. She has a uh, ministry called Sheology and she's kind of a uh, hip-looking, millennial-looking kind of, lady and she was talking about that she had heard somebody talking and saying well you know it's okay you know if you want to be a housewife or a mother or if you just want to minister to children or if you just want to minister to other women that's okay but me I want to do more and she's like that was the weirdest thing I ever heard the God who created tigers and peacocks and male and female and the earth and the stars and the sun and the moon, you're acting like he ran out of gas when he talked about being a wife and a mother or ministering to children. He ran out of creativity. You're not just demeaning women, you're demeaning God. And so we want to be careful. We want to see the cup that God has given us is good and glorious and full and not half empty because it is full. And we want to be faithful. We want to, we want to do worship matters according to the word of God. And that's why God says in First Timothy, I write these things to you so that you will know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, the church of the living God, which is the pillar and support of the truth. And that's why God says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man because Adam was created first than Eve. And this is my creation order that took place before the fall. And behold, I've seen all that I have made and it was very good. So let's honor God. That's all about internals. Let's bear witness to God and let's obey God because he's good and his will is perfect.
2: And you can also find links to Pastor Keith's blog, as well as the Out of My Mind podcast. The website is also a great place to connect with us here at Hillside. You can find information on our service times, ministry opportunities, and of course you can browse our calendar of upcoming events. Again, all this and much, much more can be found by visiting our website, hillsidechurch.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time on Grace to Live. But until then...